Our reading this morning is from Malachi, uh, chapter one. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Lord, we thank you that you are great. We thank you that you are great far beyond the borders of Israel. Lord, we ask for your blessing this now on, on Martin as he comes to speak. We ask for your blessing on us. Lord, would you open our ears, our minds, our hearts to hear what you have to say to us? Because we know you want to speak to us, Lord. We know you want to teach us, you want to guide us. And so would you enable us to, to listen and to hear and to do. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Thanks so much, Alison. I really, really appreciated that uh, all-age talk. That was so helpful. Uh, my Nick, that illustration during the sermon of the magnifying glass. I love that. It was brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, so, why Malachi? You might, you, I hear you ask. <laughs> why the prophet Malachi? The last book of the Bible. Um, the last, the last book uh, before we get to Matthew's gospel written around about 450 years before the birth of Christ by this obscure little prophet called Malachi. And uh, why, why Malachi? Um, well, I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is becoming more and more anxious and insecure. Um, there's nothing revelatory about that. You know that, don't you? And this little book, from the prophet Malachi was written in a time of insecurity, economic hardship, and uncertainty. Um, Israel had come back some hundred years before from captivity in Babylon. After the prophet Jeremiah promised that they would have 70 years, um, that 70 years had come to an end. And in 538 BC, King Cyrus of Persia released the captives, the nation of Israel, to go back home to Jerusalem. And they'd been promised through Nehemiah and Ezra and Haggai that the temple would be rebuilt and the glory of Israel would be restored. And the temple was rebuilt through Nehemiah and through the prophet Haggai and Ezra, the priest. 
but it wasn't half as glorious as it was in the days of King Solomon. And so the people were probably disappointed, cynical, disillusioned. The, the great and glorious promises that they'd had through Nehemiah and Ezra and Haggai, they looked around and they saw the smaller temple that had been rebuilt. They saw the Edomites and the other enemies who'd encroached on their land in the 70 years that they'd been in exile in Babylon. They were experiencing drought and famine and economic hardship as a result of drought and famine. Sound familiar? And they were crying out, Lord, you've forgotten us. And they were kind of saying, Lord, do you still love us? Because it doesn't appear that you've come good on your promises. You promised to restore us to the land. You promised that the temple would re be rebuilt. You promised us amazing promises, even more glorious sounding than the glory days of David and Solomon, when we had peace and prosperity in the land. This doesn't look as though we've got peace and prosperity as we had in the days of David and Solomon. And so the people have become weary, disillusioned, cynical, and they've gone lukewarm in their worship. They weren't bringing the best animals for sacrifice anymore. They would say, well, the lame, the crippled, goats and cattle, they'll do. They were, they'd forgotten God's laws about not intermarrying with pagans. They weren't giving a tenth, a tithe of their income anymore. They'd gone in their weariness and cynicism and disillusionment, they'd become lukewarm. They'd lost their love and passion and commitment to God. And they said, God, you've forgotten us. You've let us down. Do you still love us? And the prophet Malachi comes along to remind his people how much God loves them. I loved uh, that song. We, we, I've sung that a few times at Soul Survivor. Um, You're a good, good father. And that's who he is. And do you know, we are dearly loved. That's who I am. I love singing that. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. I am deeply loved. You see, when we know how deeply loved we are, we will not become weary and cynical and disillusioned and anxious in an anxious world. We will be deeply rooted and secure in our God, our Father, who loves us beyond anything that we can imagine. We have a world that is racked with anxiety, don't we? I looked up um, a figure from the World Health Organization, and apparently in the first year of COVID, and it will have got worse since, but these are the figures globally, in the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic, global prevalence of anxiety and depression, this is global, increased by 25%, 25% across the planet of depression and anxiety. That's huge, isn't it? We live in a fearful, insecure, anxious world, and it's getting worse. And the news doesn't help, does it? You watch the news and every day we're falling off a cliff, a cliff of catastrophe, aren't we? I'd say have a fast from the news if you can and read God's word instead, right? Feed yourself on the promises and love of God. Meditate on the cross. 
Let's switch our Sky News apps off and start meditating on the promises of God. Because unless we do meditate on the promises and love of God, we're going to become anxious and insecure. And we're going to become weary and cynical and disillusioned like the people of Israel were in the days of Malachi. And that's not who we are, right? We've just sung it. I'm loved by God. I'm not a weary, cynical, disillusioned, anxious person because I know who I am. I'm dearly loved. I've got a good, good father. Doesn't mean I'm never anxious. Of course I am. But I know whose I am and I know who holds the future and he'll guide me with his hand as the old song goes. When you know who you are and who you belong to, when you know that your father is good and loving and compassionate and merciful, you don't have to be overwhelmed by the world, right? The problem was the people of Israel were overwhelmed with the problems in their world, right? The temple didn't appear to be as, as grand as it once was. There were Edomites, their enemies, who'd encroached on their land. Economic hardship, crop failure, and all the rest of it. Boy, there's plenty to look at and be weary and cynical about in the world, isn't there? Uh, you know, you look at the two leadership candidates and you go, mm. I, maybe it's just me. <laughs> but God is sovereign. You know, God is not confined by my limited prejudice view. He can do much more, much more than I ask or imagine. He's, he doesn't abandon us or forsake us, does he? Even in these strange days in which we live, even when we don't know the future, we know him who holds the future, right? And that's enough for me. I don't understand the economics that's going on. I don't need to, because I know the one who knows all, right? And that's enough. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Uh, if you want my joy to be in you and my love to be in you, what do you got to do? You got to be a branch that stays connected to the vine. Right? You've got to pray. You've got to camp out in the goodness and promises of God. You've got to be a branch that's deeply connected to the vine. Just like in a vine, the nutrients and water flow up and out to the branches. We've got to be people who are open channels for the love and the joy and the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through us in these days. We've got to be like trees. Um, that are evergreen, planted with deep roots that are drawing up the love and joy and power of God through the Holy Spirit. Even in a dry climate, we've got to be trees that are always bearing fruit. And we can be those people. The world out there needs a people of hope, needs a people of joy, needs a people of love, needs you and me to be beacons of light, don't they? Hello? Are we awake? I know it's August, but come on. I know we're Baptists, but go for it. Thank you. Bless you. Two things, not three, only two this morning. I couldn't find a third, so even I couldn't shoehorn a third point here. So we're going for two. 
God shows us his love by choosing us when we don't deserve it, number one. Right? Camp out and meditate on that. You don't deserve God's love. He's poured it out on you anyway. Get a hold of that and enjoy it and delight in it. And then you won't be overwhelmed by the problems of the world. Uh, I promise not too many holiday comments. It's really sickening. <laughs> but because I've got the mic, I'm just going to give you one. Um, <laughs> there were some quite big waves on the beach in Crete. And uh, there you go. <laughs> and um, there were times it was, it was kind of... Um, like a, it wasn't it wasn't sand and it wasn't rock. It was kind of like this um, halfway between, and it meant that when you stood on it, you, you kind of sank. And when those big waves crashed over you, it was really hard to stand up because your your feet kind of got sunk down into this stuff. And when the wave crashed over you, I found myself falling over. And it reminded me while I was on holiday that. Many people in our world are falling over under the waves uh, and being overwhelmed by the problems that they're facing. Economic hardship, uh, stresses and strains, paying the bills, sickness, whatever it is. And I felt, I was reminded, interestingly, of, of the rock of Jesus on which we stand. We sung about that this morning, haven't we? You are the rock on which I stand. God wants us to stand on a rock, not on sinking sand. There's an old uh, hymn, wasn't it, about that, which we're not going to sing this morning. He wants, he's the rock. We've got a firm foundation to stand on, haven't we? Anyway, back to the point. The people of Judah in Malachi's time were complaining that God no longer loved them. Kevin the teenager, right? Do you remember um, Harry Enfield, the character... Uh, Kevin the teenager, Mate, some of you probably aren't old enough, but uh, he used to play this uh, character called Kevin the teenager. And when he was, as soon as he was 13, uh, Kevin turned into the teenager that said, I hate you, like this. And he walked around, he had his cap back to front, and he walked around like this, I hate you. It's so unfair. That's my only impression, by the way. Thank you. The people of Israel are like Kevin the teenager, right? They've forgotten that, that their God, their father, is loving and kind and loves them beyond what they can imagine. And they're accusing him of not loving them, right? But God says, sorry, this is spelling mistakes. Oh, my goodness. You, you can tell I've been on holiday, can't you? Look at the typos. Oh dear, I have loved you, says the Lord. Just ignore the typos. But you ask, how have you loved us? How have you loved us, say the people? Kevin the teenager. Sometimes, as Christians, we're like Kevin the teenager, aren't we? No, says Joyce. <laughs> I love that. I love interaction. It's great. Yeah, when things are going fine, we're, we're, we're praising the Lord. We're, we're singing his praises. We're thanking him for the sunny days and the flowers. And then when the wheels come off in life, 
we can we would never say this out loud by the way would we because we're respectable nice sorry people but in our heads we sometimes are saying to god it's so unfair do you know i've served you faithfully why is this happening to me now it's so unfair we're like kevin the teenager and god's you know and i've done this and I, do you know what i've heard back from god when i've done when i've been kevin the teenager I love you more than you can imagine. And then I hear a second question, but do you love me? It's not the answer I wanted. I wanted some obscure verse that I could quote and give testimony to. God just said, I love you. Do you love me? And God is saying that to some of you this morning. Some of you are weary and disillusioned and disappointed and struggling. And God is saying, I love you. I love you more than you can ever know and imagine. And then he's saying, but do you love me? You see, it's, oh, I'm going to borrow this. Thank you, Alison. You've inspired me so much. You see, what we're doing is we're holding up a magnifying glass to all the problems in our lives and we're only looking at them. And what we should be doing is holding a magnifying glass up to the word of God and to his promises and focusing on them, shouldn't we? Yes. You're a good, good father. It's who I am. You love me more than I can imagine. We should be holding the glass up, magnifying those promises of God to us, that he cho he's chosen us when we didn't deserve it. I ought to preach on the text, really. But... So here they are saying, um, you, are, you don't love us. And then God says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet I have loved Jacob. Um, what's that all about? Well, you know, it's a bit of history. We've done the Bible course, okay? So I'm going to give you a little bit of history, but you know this anyway, I'm sure. Abraham was told by God, I'm going to bless you and your descendants will be a blessing to the whole earth, right? Isaac was Abraham's son. Jacob and Esau are who? Isaac's sons, twin brothers. Do you remember that in the womb, Jacob was grasping his brother's heel, Esau's heel. You know, even in the womb, he's trying to come out first. He's grasping after being the firstborn. But Esau is born with Jacob grasping his heel. So he was trying to be born before his brother. And Jacob is the deceiver, the trickster, the grasper supreme, isn't he? But his brother ain't too much better either is he do you remember Esau the hairy man um, and uh, he gives up his birthright because the older one would get the birthright and the inheritance from the father he gives it up for what can you remember a bowl of stew now I like my food <laughs> but I have to say here right now judge me if you like there's no way I'm giving up my inheritance for a bowl of stew but that's what Esau did. I mean, that's fickle, isn't it? Talk about being ruled by your stomach. 
Why did God choose Jacob over Esau? Was it because Jacob was so much better than Esau? Well, clearly not. Jacob tricked his father Isaac into believing that he was his brother, right? His, his father was blind and he dressed up like Esau, put on this sort of hairy coat. And he, he put on this sort of scent that made him smell like his brother. And his father, who was blind, said, are you sure you're Esau? He went, yeah, I'm Esau, lying through his back teeth. So Jacob is hardly a model of virtue, is he? God chose Jacob because he chose him. God chose Jacob not because Jacob deserved it, but out of his love. There's a mystery here of election. Uh, it's one of my questions I've got when I get to heaven. I haven't got a clue why God choose, chooses some and not others. He chose Jacob over Esau because he loved him. God chose Israel because he loved them, not because they were worthy. He loved them because he loved them. <laughs> not because they deserved it. Jacob was a trickster. He was chosen to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, Joseph and Zebulon and all the rest of them. Dan and, yeah, I can't remember them, so I'm not going to even try because I'll get them wrong. Who did Esau father? Who was, which nation was Esau the, the father of? Edom, right? So Edom is descended from Esau, and they become the enemies of Israel. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now do you see where the text is going? Now do you see why God mentions Jacob and es Esau and Edom? Because God chose through the line of Jacob to bless the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes. He chose them not because they were better people than Edom, he chose them because he loved them and he chose them out of his love. And, you know, you are here today not because you're a better person than your family members. You're a Christian today not because you are morally superior to your work colleagues, neighbours, family and friends. You are here only because God in his grace chose you in Christ. Isn't that amazing? You hadn't done anything worthy of being saved nothing it's all grace your years of service to god before you became a christian don't count for toffee in being saved our service flows out of the grace of god to us we love because he first loved us right our service is a response to god's grace to us that's all it is right Listen to Paul. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You as a Christian have been brought into the family of God as an adopted son because Christ chose to love you and give his life for you. Isn't that wonderful? You, you and me hadn't done anything to deserve this. We were far off like the prodigal son when Jesus came into the world and invited us to come home to God. Isn't that wonderful? 
Didn't deserve it. I love the uh, acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's what grace is, isn't it? God's riches at Christ's expense. Every day, you and me need to camp out and meditate on God's riches at Christ's expense. Don't camp out and meditate in the news. Camp out and meditate on God's riches at Christ's expense. Then you will be secure. Then you'll be able to sing, good, good father. It's who I am. I know I'm loved. I can be secure. I can be a person of hope in this anxious, broken, dark world in which we live. And boy, does that community out there need us to be people of hope. Do they ever need us to be Christians? More than ever. People of light, people of hope, people who are filled with joy. I love coming in this place on a Sunday and hearing people laughing, lively chatter. I love that because it reminds me we're a people of hope. We're people in whom God lives. We're a foretaste of heaven. Hallelujah. Uh, point two. Second, God loves us by overcoming our enemies. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, will we, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land of people always under the wrath of the Lord. So Edom had rebuilt while... Um, Israel were away in captivity in Babylon, right? They'd encroached on the land. They'd become Israel's thorn in the side. But God says, though they build, I will demolish. And what happened over many years was that God sent some semi-nomadic tribes to oust Edom, that's Esau's descendants, yeah, you remember, from the land, so that the, the nation of Judah southern Israel, could resettle the land. And that over time, their land grew again and expanded because the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, was fighting on their behalf. Can I just camp out there on that phrase, Lord Almighty? Because there's good news here for you and me. Lord Almighty means Lord of hosts or Lord of angel armies. We're just about to sing a song about the God of angel armies, right? We've sung it before, so don't panic. All right, some of you are looking with fear. You've sung it several times, so go for it. No excuses, right? The God of angel armies is always on my side, says the song. And that's what he is. The almighty means the Lord of hosts. God commands angel armies who were fighting on behalf of his people, pushing back the Edomites, reclaiming the land. Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness, of sin, death, and the evil one. Who's the one who fights for us supremely? It's not just angel armies now, is it? It's Jesus is the... the, the commander-in-chief who goes before us and fights for us, doesn't he? And he's the one who's already secured and won the victory. Uh, we watched the lionesses out in Greece win um, the Euros. Wasn't it great? Yeah. It brings out the patriotism. In his, uh, sorry, South Africans. I, I know you're not interested. <laughs> <laughs> What I love about the lionesses is they lived up to their name. They were courageous. 
They persevered. They fought right from beginning to end. They deserved the title lionesses. But you know, we have the lion of Judah, the one Jesus, who's the, the, who's the lion of the tribe of Judah, who goes ahead of us and fights for us, and who's already won the battle. Not just the Euros, he's won the victory that enables all the nations on the earth to be brought into his kingdom. And we're on the winning side if we belong to him. The lion of Judah roars with power. That's what another song says. He's fighting our battles, and we're victorious in him. Uh, verse 5, this is a wonderful promise that wasn't fulfilled in Malachi's time. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. You know, God was proved to be great even beyond the borders of Israel because Christ, the Lion of Judah, was victorious not just over the Edomites, but over sin and death at the cross and through his resurrection, the gospel went beyond the borders of Israel to the ends of the earth. And that's why you and me are here today, because we've been included, we've been grafted in to God's people, right? We've been grafted into the vine of Israel. Isn't that wonderful? The God of angel armies fights for you and me that we would finish the race and win the prize of a new heaven and a new earth. Isn't that wonderful? You know, the one who hung there on the cross and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that. He was separated, forsaken by God the Father so that we would never be forsaken. The God of angel armies promises you today, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The God of angel armies, the Lion of Judah, says this, who will bring any charge against those whose God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. I don't know what's going to happen, right, economically. I don't know how long the war's going to go on. But you know what? I can rest in the love of God. Nothing in all creation can separate me from God's love. That's enough for me. Doesn't mean I won't fight for justice. Doesn't mean I won't pray for Ukraine and an end to war. Doesn't mean I won't seek to do what I can uh, in terms of environmental protection for the planet. All of that. And yet, I can rest secure in knowing that God loves me because he's a good, good father he's the lord almighty the lord of hosts the lion of judah who fights for his people let's pray in fact would you stand with me there's some of you who are battling with weariness and disillusionment life's the waves of life are, are crashing over you and uh, 
let's be honest, we all become weary and cynical and disillusioned. We all lose heart. We all despair from time to time. But you know, the Lord wants you and me to stand on the rock this morning, not sink in sand. The Lord has put your feet on Jesus, the rock, and he wants you to take your, micro your magnifying glass out and magnify the promises of God through his word to you this morning and me. And God makes a wonderful promise in Romans 5 about pouring his love into our hearts. And I want to pray this for us this morning. This is what Paul says in Romans 5, 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. If you're weary and cynical, and disillusioned, if you're feeling overwhelmed by the problems, the difficulties you face, if you've lost that sense that God loves you more than you can imagine, I want you to just perhaps, yeah, perhaps just open, put your hands out in front of you as a sign that you just want to be filled afresh with the love of God? Would you just come with empty hands and say, Lord, I need to be filled again with your love. Would you just do that now as a sign that you want to experience more of God's love again? Just allow him to fill you. Come, Holy Spirit, fill, fill us with the Father's love. Father, would you pour out your love upon us afresh today? Holy Spirit, come, come, in Jesus' name. Fill us afresh. Pour out your love into our hearts. Just receive that love. Receive that love. Calming your fears. Reminding you of how much you're loved. Reminding you that God is a good father. Reminding you that you're his adopted son. Reminding you that you've been chosen before the foundation of the world. Reminding you that you have a saviour who fights for you and who's overcome. Holy Spirit, come. Pour the love of God into our hearts. Just receive. Just wait on him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Bless you. Bless you, Father. Bless you, Father.
Some of you are, I just sense the Lord saying, some of you are really, are really needing a little bit more time just soaking in the Father's love. And I, I just want to invite you, um, if you're really in a season of weariness, a season that's very dry, difficult, I want to invite you, I'd love to pray with, with some of you this morning that you would experience a fresh outpouring of the refreshing love of God into your hearts. Um, there are prayer team here who will pray too. So when the, the end of the service, just to invite you to remain behind and uh, perhaps either come to the front row or you, if you prefer, you can go to the back in the corner there under the stage on the, where Mike and Barbara are on the back right there. Just sit quietly and the uh, prayer team will just come and pray for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit in those dry places, in those weary places. Some of you just, the Father just wants you to know how much you're loved. <laughs> and sometimes we just have to spend a bit of time waiting in his presence to receive that. Thank you, Lord.